Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. If you're looking for a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast, you're in the right place. Yeah. Just to underscore the show open here. I want you to be sure what you're getting. Yeah. Fair viewer. Adam, the other day I was, uh, I think it was the first episode, we had our first ever episode with an advertisement on it. Um, actually, not that's not really true, but our first ever episode where we were paid to advertise something. Right. <laughs> And uh, that was a big coup for us because, you know, I think we're, uh, we have a, a big enough audience now that I think that we're both feeling like it should not be a net loss in terms of hours put into this show <laughs> for us to do the show. And uh, at the same know, time, I also feel like we could lose everything uh, yeah. with, with a bad turn of phrase or a late publication of the show. I mean, the stakes have never <laughs> well, been higher. That's true. Anyways, I uh, I was excited to hear how the episode sounded with with an ad in it. And so I was listening back to an episode the morning it came out. And uh, I just had it on the little speaker on my iPhone. And I was walking around the apartment getting ready for my day. And my wife walked into the <laughs> into the room and overheard maybe the first uh, greatest gen she's ever heard. And uh, she's like, oh, did you edit little sounds from the real show in there? That's so cute. Wow. (laughs) On the one hand, I'm glad that she appreciates the quality and the effort that we put into the show. On the other (laughs) hand, it's it's like coming home after getting a haircut and like your wife not noticing. Oh, I, I, I couldn't say anything about that because I have never once in my entire life noticed a haircut that my wife got. Oh boy, uh, that's that'll put you in the doghouse, Ben. It put me in the doghouse the first like dozen times <laughs> when we were dating, and now it's just a running joke. <laughs> like she can tell me I'm gonna go get a haircut, and then I'll be home a little later tonight. And she'll come home, and she'll be like, notice anything different? And it will genuinely stump me what's different. (laughs) It's baked into our DNA, Ben. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, she she notices every single time I get a haircut. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is I'm a terrible husband. (laughs) And yet, uh, she does not enjoy what is clearly your life's work and your calling. So I think you're probably even... Yeah. She asked me if that hurt my feelings and uh and I was like honestly it doesn't really. I don't I don't think that it's really your cup of tea. But uh that's true for most humans. This show is is an acquired special taste. And That's the tension, isn't it? Like Yeah. Friends of mine, this just happened to me very recently. A friend of mine was taking a road trip, like an 8-hour road trip. Substantial <laughs> with a lady friend of his. Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh, I'm thinking about queuing up one of your podcasts. I've never heard it before, and neither is my lady friend. 
Yeah. Which one should I start with? And I said, that, that would be a terrible idea because you don't watch Star Trek. <laughs> we have viewers that don't watch the show, though. He was like, uh, it's, it's all right. I think it'll be great. And so I, I gave him a couple of ideas. Mm-hmm. A couple hours later, he texts me back and he's like, we got through 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear that. That's, that's hurtful. <laughs> like, on the one hand, I, I appreciate the effort. It's like a, a friend does that for another friend. You try to enjoy the thing that they put so much effort into. But I told him he wasn't going to like it. And sure as shit, he didn't. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he he didn't have to tell me about those twenty minutes, but yeah. Well, Adam, there there's we only are. there's only one Star Trek podcast that I like, and we're doing it. It's true. Let's try to make this episode an episode that can get past twenty minutes to a stranger. What do you say? I'm in. All right. Uh, this is one of my favorite episodes, Ben. Of the series, it's season five, episode five, The Game. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Now, this episode opens with Riker playing, like, uh, like in the words of Dan Savage, cops and robbers in your underpants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, what do you think is going on here? So so it's one of the most campy openings I think the show has ever had, right? Oh, I fell over. Oh, I fell over again. Like this could almost be something that happened in the original series. It's so weird. But uh there is a loafed out woman. She's got the the kind of loaf that can only be described as a vagina butt, which is she has two butt cheeks and a Vagina, right there on her forehead. They're a little bit bubbly, too. Like like when you cook a pizza at home and you get, like, the big <laughs> blistered uh, dough bubble. Yeah. Like, like there's some bubbly loaf here, I think. Are you, do you mean bubbly? <laughs> I do, indeed. <laughs> uh that was for one person out there in our in our audience. You know who you are. Uh. They're, but you're right, though. They're, like, engaging in the sort of foreplay that is very chaste, like, Edo-style foreplay. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're doing this because they can't just explicitly show the light bondage and loaf play that happens right. uh, off screen. Yeah, this is, this is a 6 p.m. television show. They can't show it going in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Into the forehead. Right. Um well, so this this lady's name is Etana Joel and she is having a bit of a laugh running around the Risa hotel room of one Riker William T and she has his communicator badge in her hand and she's playing a bit of a game of keep away and this game ends with her Tossing his communicator out the window. I don't believe you did that. Believe it. Into the rest of the soundstage that they're on. You would think that there were some military-style shore leave rules about, like, the things you leave out on a dresser in a hotel room. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I would think that the communicator would be a big part of that rule. Because think about all the things that they use the communicator for. Like if they say, 
like lock onto my signal and beam it off the port bow, you know, and they like slap yeah. their communicator on a bomb that's about to go off, that that bomb gets beamed out into space. Like that is their identity in their society. It marks you as a Federation person too, in a way that uh, I know the military when they take shore leave, like they're not going to wear IDs. Right. In places that could mark them in mixed company as a potential target. Yeah. And so he's got his Horgon out and his communicator out and probably a bunch of credit cards <laughs> just just on the dresser waiting to get stolen. Yeah. Do you think that uh do you think there was a cut scene of him rummaging around in the bushes later because that was the only way he was gonna get beamed back up onto the ship? You don't want a landscaper to weed whack the communicator. Oh, no, that would be terrible. That yeah. thing got sucked up into a uh, <laughs> into a lawnmower. Yeah. So they're chasing each other around the room. She chucks the communicator out, and then he continues the chase. Yeah. This is Riker's level of dedication to boning down. They end up on the bed. Like, he sort of, he sort of, they chase each other, and they sort of give up in that way that typically ends in doing it. They fall into bed together. Yep. She's on his back, and she's like, I got this thing I want to put on your head. (laughs) And it's a 1989-style Walkman metal headband with a couple of uh, of eye shooters out front. Mm -hmm. And she puts it on him, and then we see his field of view. And what we see in his POV is sort of a, a, a lower grid matrix and a couple of buttholes. Yeah, it's a it's like whack-a-mole if you had to toss a frisbee into a butthole. Yeah, it's whack a butthole. <laughs> it's a it's ultimate butthole. Yeah. It's like it's a bit like Google Glass or like uh you know, it's like an augmented reality thing where it's like in your field of view but you can still see like, you can see, like, a wicker chair and a couple of uh, wall hangings in the background of this. You know what's crazy is this show is 25 years old, and these things look way cooler than Google Glass. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How did Google fuck that up so bad? I don't know. Just base it off of this thing. Yeah. They should have just based it off of this thing. And then they wouldn't have run into the problem of people using their product getting called glass holes. Riker's like, what am I supposed to do with these these digital buttholes? And she's like, you just sort of let it happen. You see the frisbee into the butthole, and he's having a hard time. He's winging the frisbee all over the all over the field. Yeah, she's like, no, 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 no. Find- it's in the wrist. It's in the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> and Riker's like, oh, I know from things that are all in the wrist. So he gets it in. He gets it in, and what happens to him is pleasure. Mm-hmm. We cut back outside of his POV, and we see him sort of like half eye roll. Yeah, he gets. He you gets, can tell something good is happening. Yeah, he, he, you wouldn't want to check the mattress, you know, under where he's lying <laughs> at that moment. Right, right. And so instead of a, a squint to theme song, we get sort of like a a quarter orgasm yeah. into into theme song. O face to theme. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of, uh, I mean, I feel like we say it every episode, but one of the strangest opening sequences <laughs> of all time. Because his face really fills the frame. Yeah, it's a, it's as close as we ever get. 
With a lot of people, this wouldn't be flattering, but Frakes has got a good-looking face. Yeah. He can pull it off. He can do this. I feel like uh, by the time you get to the films, I don't know if Frakes could do it, but uh, they, they, yeah. they got him at his peak. <laughs> it's peak Frakes. Yeah. Come back. The uh, ship is going to go do some science somewhere. Riker's back on board, and uh, you know he's he's like getting he's getting the download. He like saunters onto the bridge, and uh, the captain is like telling him all the different shit that is going on. And um, there's some good news, some bad news. The bad news is their their big science project they have coming up. They're only going to have two weeks to do it. Uh, but the good news is Wesley, the boy. The boy, young Wesley Crusher, my son, is coming back on board the ship. It doesn't feel like he's been gone very long, does it? Yeah, when did he leave? Like a little bit in about this point in season four? Yeah. So it's he's, so I guess in real time, it's been a year. Yeah. But in showtime, it, it hasn't been that long. Has it been? Is it? Is this like his spring break or something? It's not long enough to miss him. Yeah. To me, anyway. But in the life of a show, he's he's been away a long time. Well, uh, guess who else is aboard, Adam? Who's that, Ben? The lovely Ensign Robin Leffler. Yeah. And uh, she is age-appropriate for young Wesley Crusher. Sure is. Which is great news. Yeah. We we get a reveal that she is back for this episode of her. She's, like, pulling some some crap out of the wall to do some engineering on it. I guess she's got some, like... She's going to, like, do some isolinear chip Jenga, maybe. <laughs> and uh, Riker saunters into engineering, gets, uh, gets a similar update from Jordy to the one he just got from the captain. And then he's like, hey, buddy, listen. Jordy, I brought something back from Riser that you have got to try. Yeah, and Jordy's like, like, all right, rub it in. Last time I tried to go to Riser, I got turned into a, uh, a Manchurian candidate by the Romulans. Jerk. Yeah. Some asshole got to enjoy Risa who barely looked like me. Yeah. <laughs> Come to think of it, this is the the next person from the crew to go to Risa, and it is also a plot to take over the ship, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's we'll... sort of uh, making the case that Risa should be associated with danger. Yeah. Maybe we change the uh, shore leave policy with regard to Risa. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Jordy... Uh, Jordy's like, I'd love to, but I'm running a full sensory calibration in about ten minutes. Can I wait? Ashley Judd is here, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get distracted just yet. And uh, Riker's like, well, I can I can certainly understand that. So he heads to ten forward, and Troy, who is fresh off of an episode that unpotted her plant, <laughs> is sitting there being the most two dimensional character that she can possibly be. She's back in the fucking pot, big time. <laughs> yeah. She's in a pot so big, like you ever go to a, a, a lawn care nursery place and they have those those pots that are just impossibly large, yeah. like as big as a car. Yeah, that's where she's in. You think they you think they were just repotting her? Like they they had her out last episode to like loosen up the root ball, and they just had some put some soil into a bigger pot, stuck her in it, and they threw a little water on. 
I was thinking a lot about why I find her character so objectionable in terms of of the backstory that they give her. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from what the intent is from the writer. Because at first I just became angry at the writer's room for making her one-dimensional. Yeah. But then I started to think about why. Yeah. Like, if your intention is to create a character that a female that you don't know and don't understand would identify with... <laughs> like this is a science f- fiction person with a contemporary interest that the wife of a nerd could could enjoy and identify with. Yeah. What sucks is you're deprived of an intellectual strength, a more interesting hobby that could be enjoyable for everyone in the room. Yeah, her her hobbies are wearing sexy leotard and eating chocolate. And it sucks because any woman in the room watching this program could enjoy her if she had a more interesting hobby. Like, why, well, and why I think that, dumb her down? I feel like the, the women I know that that love this show really do like Troy and wish and, you know, wish there was more to her, you know? Like, yeah. there's so many, like, potential things you could have, right? Like, Worf has some conflict about having been raised on earth but being a klingon she's half she's you know she's half betazoid half human what if she like really resented the fact that she was half human because it limits her abilities or right or something like that or or whatever you know like it she's just she's just a chocolate eater it sucks it would have been interesting if she had a little bit of her best friend tasha yar in her and the thing that made them friends was how into mixed martial arts they were or something. (laughs) You know, like what if her character contrast was that she was a huge ass kicker. Yeah. But she is so soft. Yeah. In, in all ways. And that, that's just hard. So she's, she's in 10 forward, basically finger banging a chocolate mousse (laughs) when Riker climbs over a chair and sits down with her and she gets a full on, like you remember when Roe in the last episode had a warner and like told the most shocking, terrifying story of watching her father die, but while being tortured to death. Yeah. Like Deanna Troy gets a monologue about like giving oral sex to a banana split <laughs> that goes on for like a minute and a half. That's like the spoken word part to a sex rap song. Yeah. You have to spoon the fudge around the rim leaving only the ice cream in the middle then you gently spoon the ice cream around the sides like you're sculpting it yeah it was very uh it was very jackable you know something's up with Riker when he doesn't just hit the flirtation ball right back at her and instead is like you want to play a game (laughs) i feel like on any other day Riker would have been like ordering cannolis and like and like shooting cheese out at her you know (laughs) like playing playing dessert flirtation games yeah but he's not interested he wants to share this game dipping a biscotti into her chocolate yeah (laughs) well she gets excited about this game and we cut away to the boy beaming on board and uh O'Brien is standing there a little bit uh, indifferent to the whole thing and 
And uh, Wesley asks if he can, like, go say what's up to everybody on the bridge. And he's like, well, let me ask. Radio's up to Worf. Worf is like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, don't see, I don't see a big problem with it. <laughs> like, as dispassionate as it gets. Like, it's totally administrative. Yeah. Like, Worf doesn't even know Wesley is the effect that he's putting. Yeah, it's fun. And, uh, and so Wesley is... A little, a little sheepish walks up to the observation lounge, walks in, and leaves the lights off for an uncomfortable amount of time. <laughs> and uh, eventually, the lights pop on, and there's a very half-hearted <laughs> yell of surprise from the assembled senior staff. And uh, his mama runs around the the curve table and gives him a big hug. Everybody's really excited to see him. Even Picard. I feel like a surprise party is something you only ever see on television. Have you ever been a part of a surprise party or been the victim of one? Uh, we threw one for my wife, I think, when she turned. Was it a lights off affair? Like, like it was just jump up from behind the couch thing? No, I think she was expecting to be having drinks with a couple of her friends and it wound up being me and like... 25 of her friends at a bar it's so strange it was uh it was good for her she's she's easy to rope into a scheme like that and very amenable to it i told her afterwards because you would put the invitation in the podcast so you know she wouldn't hear it (laughs) yeah exactly I i told her afterwards if if uh if she ever got the idea of throwing me a surprise party not to oh I would not like it. It's something I always say, Adam, there's nothing worse than free surprise barbecue. Mm. Like free barbecue is is the best thing ever. But if it's a surprise, it's the worst thing ever. Because what if you ate like a peanut butter sandwich five minutes ago? And now there's yeah. all this barbecue and you can't you can't throw yourself into it the way barbecue deserves. Yeah, that's a tough spot. You know? And then you just eat until you're sick. I need to prepare myself to be around other humans. Then you throw up in the ash catcher. Yeah, that's no fun. That's a bad time. Yeah. So it turns out that Worf is the baker. Carbokian pound cake. Of the senior staff. I made it myself. Yeah. And, and offers Wes a slice of cake that he made himself. Yeah, this cake is... It's like the size of a baby's head, this slice of cake. It's fucking huge. How do you think he does it? Like, we've only seen uh, cooking depicted once, and that was when Riker made those shitty eggs. Yeah, Worf loved loved those eggs. I wish we got a montage of Worf baking this cake. Yeah, getting getting a little bit of uh, loose flour in his loaf. You know, having to... He's got a frilly apron on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, what's the... What's the He's deal? in the back room of Ten Forward, like borrowing the commercial kitchen stuff. Yeah, yeah. He probably doesn't have any. He doesn't have like an an oven in his in his quarters. KitchenAid, a warrior's mixer. <laughs> um, it's a real it's a real turnaround on uh, on the way he was on the radio. But anyways, Wesley's going to be hanging out for a few days. Um, and he's going to be helping out. Like, he's technically on vacation, but uh, he's going to, you know, he knows his way around the ship. 
the uh, the senior staff trust him, so he's gonna he's gonna do some some help him out, and uh, he heads down to engineering. It's a bus mentality, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He heads down to engineering, and um, this is kind of like the kind of vacation my dad takes, where he's got two weeks off, and he decides to like uh, strip and rehaul a boat. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the most dirty and least relaxing thing I can possibly imagine. <laughs> How stressful is your real life if that's what your vacation is? Yeah, exactly. It is the guiding principle of a dark lady's face. Have you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth? You don't deserve to wear that uniform. Well, he heads down to engineering and Jordy gives him a little uh, little task to accomplish and he's having trouble when uh, when the lovely Robin Leffler uh, tosses him a bone tells him tells him how to uh, manually recalibrate the dilithium inverter or whatever, uh, and uh, and they they hit it right off. And uh, it's it's so different from the time that he met the the lady that turned into a the werebear. A werebear. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he he didn't know the first thing about saying what's up to a girl, and now he's like, I mean, I wouldn't say his game, but he's like he holds his own. And this is Ashley Judd we're talking about. You know how damaged you feel after a really bad breakup and how long it takes to get over? Mm-hmm. Like, imagine the werebear PTSD that <laughs> Wesley has. <laughs> like, intimacy has got to be so difficult the first couple of times. Like, is she going to change? Yeah, he, he goes in for that first smooch and he pauses and says, you're not going uh, to change into a Star Wars cantina <laughs> alien, are you? I gotta believe that uh, he's leaving the chocolate mousse at home for this one. That didn't work out well the first time. No. He's got different moves since going back to the academy. He's he's walking around with a little bit of confidence. Yeah. Uh, speaking, Adam, of walking around, there's a scene that happens right before this that I wanted to get your take on, uh, where Data and Wesley are walking around in the corridors together. Mm-hmm. Did you look at Data's chin in that scene? I have to, I have to say I did not. Specifically, there's something weird about his chin, and uh, I like I looked if if there was like trivia or goofs or something to see if like you know like they had to cover up a motorcycle injury <laughs> or something, but uh, it goes it goes unanswered and it's gone the next time you see data. But he just he like has like a very obvious weird thing going on in his chin. Whoa! Yeah. They caked on some uh, some putty. It looks like yeah. some makeup putty. Yeah, it like it kind of looks like he has like the world's largest pimple, but they've painted over it. I don't know how you're Brent Spiner and you wear makeup for as long as you wear it without your face just going crazy. Yeah, like it. It surprises me that it isn't more of an issue. Yeah, I mean. He and Worf sat in the makeup chair for, like, hours every day and then spent an entire shoot day in makeup and then in, like, extensive makeup. Like, he has it on his hands. Yeah. On his neck. Like, I don't think Worf probably has it on his neck, but he's, you know, he's wearing a helmet. <laughs> I bet I bet the, uh, I bet those zits that happen around your hairline on Michael Dorn are out of fucking control. I bet they're the size of grapes. Yeah. 
This loaf just keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> Cover it up. They introduce a character trait with Robin, like, that I don't think we've gotten up until now, which is the idea of someone who's quirky. <laughs> I think the last time we got this was with uh, the girl who had a three-part or that had a three-episode arc in The Best of Both Worlds who spilled her coffee on Picard. Yeah. Like, she was quirky. And that was the last time we got a quirky character, I think. Yeah. She's got, like, like student film-level quirkiness, though. Yeah, Leffler's proto-quirky. Yeah. In a weird way. She's got she's got her that becomes f- way popular in in several years. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like the idea of a character that has a long list of personal edicts the way she does. I feel yeah. like I feel like I read a lot of scripts in uh, in college that had that type of character quirk in them. Are you talking about your time in film school, Ben? <laughs> yeah, when I went to the New York University Canbar Institute for film and television production at uh, at the Tisch College of the Arts. Hmm. Good for you. My, my, my love is a creep of longing till for that which longer nurses the disease. It appears that uh, that young Wesley Crusher's flirtation is having an effect. Yeah. She's batting the fl- flirtation ball back at him. Yeah. They're batting playing her some eyelashes. flirtation tennis. Yeah. Yeah, it's working. And so they make plans for later. Why, why don't we uh, meet up and tend forward for a little after work hang? And she's totally into it. She's not more than just into it. He suggests coffee and she's like, fuck coffee. Let's go on a date, dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's around this time that uh, Dr. Crusher, Wesley's mom, uh, turns off Data and then shoots a ray gun into his head. It seems a little out of character. Yeah. Uh, so the, the ringleaders of this, of this new conspiracy are Troy, the Doctor, and, and Commander Riker. I guess uh, Jordy didn't, didn't get roped in just yet. Still too busy. But... Uh, not cool enough for a conspiracy? No. I also wondered, like, because they never show Jordy using the thing. Yeah. I feel like they work? they wrote that scene in with Riker asking him about it so that they could establish that he was going to be susceptible to the thing without having to show him using it because uh, it wouldn't fit over his <laughs> visor and he doesn't have irises or pupils, so... How would it shoot rays into his eyes? I really want to know that. They never answer it. No. Jordy puts it on. He's like, this thing fucking sucks. <laughs> I can't see anything. <laughs> yeah. So Wesley runs home to get ready for this date. And his mom is like, oh, you got to try this game. It's great. And he's like, well, listen, I'll try it later. But I'm really busy right now. I got a hot date with uh, Ensign Leffler from engineering. And... uh and that's enough to to satisfy the doctor that she doesn't need to put a headband on her son just yet. And then, Adam, Wesley goes and opens a door that I have wanted to see the inside of <laughs> from episode one of this show. It's true. Wesley's sweater closet. <laughs> and this definitely has been cleared out a little bit. Like, he, he's, he's away at school, so this isn't, like, his full sweater collection, which is a bit yeah. of a shame. But... There are like four like, or five Coogees in there. You imagine like 
what Mr. Rogers sweater closet would look like, like fully outfitted and stacked. <laughs> this is like a this is like a partial Rogers situation. Yeah. Skeleton Rogers. Mm, yeah. Uh but but there's some uh there's uh, some new sweaters that we haven't seen yet. I feel like maybe some old some golden oldies are in there. Uh if you're the set designer, you've gotta be just like rubbing your hands together <laughs> like at the opportunity. Like these giant sweaters have been hanging in wardrobe. Yeah, they've been in, for five seasons. They've been on like a, a a metro shelf in a in a big rubbermaid tub with Kuji yeah. written on the outside of it. <laughs> you gotta fold those things up like tents. Yeah, yeah, man. You ca- you keep the poles in a separate bag. They're gonna fall right off those hangers. They're too heavy. They're too heavy. They're they're and the necks are too big. You know. Yeah. Got a lot yeah. of boat neck type of type of deals on there but uh the sweater he opts for is is a new one on me but it's got kind of like a bajoran uniform style to it yeah it's uh it's it's shouldery yeah it's very shouldery and robin has put on a uh, a lovely little outfit as well and they're having this nice date uh drinking something pink that i can only assume commander Riker suggested yeah and uh and they're like, hey, what's up with this game that everybody's playing? Like, everybody is talking about this crazy game on the ship. And they, like, start looking around. <laughs> and, that like, everybody in 10 Forward that is doing this thing is obviously strung out. <laughs> they're like, well, maybe we, should, maybe we should look into this thing before we try it. So they had everyone except the the servers. Yeah. Which I thought was a weird contrast. Yeah, like, it's a weird contrast. Servers class don't thing. have time for games. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like a really contemporary scene in that way where you'll go to a restaurant sometimes and you'll see eight out of ten tables, people will just be looking at their phones. Mm. And so when you see two people with their heads up and the rest of the room with their heads down, yeah, it seemed like a familiar scene. They're like, "What's up and with these?" In sort of a sad way. What's up with these iPhones everybody's using? Should we, should we try this, or is it like an addictive thing? It's like an iPhone allegory. <laughs> you are just desperate to get the title on this one, aren't you? <laughs> does it does it sound that way? I think I'm just feeling particularly quippy today, not unlike a Robin Leffler. <laughs> so they head down to the lab and they plug one of these one of these things into the brain simulator machine. And uh, and they start running simulations and they're like, "Hey, this kind of looks like what would happen." if this thing was injecting heroin straight into the temples of your head. <laughs> it looks like it feels great. <laughs> Could be pretty addictive. So so they're like, what's what's going on here? They're doing a lot of explaining to each other by as a way to explain to the viewer. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're describing symptoms that sound like contemporary psychotropic drug sy- symptoms. Yeah. So Wes, Wes is like, I gotta go tell the captain about this. He's gotta nip this shit in the bud. Yeah. I feel like this was like half him doing the right thing and half him trying to kind of show what an important dude he was to Robin Leffler. Like, yeah. He's I, really one degree of separationing her. Hey, listen, I'm pretty close with uh, with the, with the cap. I'm gonna run up there and say what's up to him. She's like, how close are you? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> He's on a uh, no-knock basis with the captain. <laughs> Walks in and uh, 
Tells, tells him about his concerns, and the captain's like, I'll start an investigation immediately. Thank you, Mr. Crusher. I feel like we've had this a couple of times where the captain listens to somebody tell them tell him about some terrible thing that's befalling the ship, and he's already under its sway. Yeah. So he Too has late. to kind of bullshit through hearing the hearing the complaint, and then uh, Wesley walks out with uh, you know some confidence that that he's he's done the right thing, running this one up the ladder, but. Alone in his ready room, Captain Picard swivels his chair around, and you see that he, too, is under the sway of the game. The game is stealing everybody's consciousness and putting it under its sway. This is the hinge in the episode where it turns into Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, yeah. From here to the end of the episode is an intensity jump that works it fucking works it's 25 years old like there are some legit fears going on from here into the end and i thought it was great yeah i mean there this is a a series that has taken a stab at the who can you trust storyline yeah plenty of times and at this point in its run they have figured out how to do it yeah like, even, like, the next scene, which is just a POV of the game being played, walking around in 10 forward, and it walks up to Robin Leffler, and you hear Chief O'Brien's voice. Have you tried this? O'Brien's got to be so happy. He's like, God, finally, an escape from my life. <laughs> <laughs> but even that scene is, like, really ominous, right? Yeah. This sort of uh, underscores an argument that I've made for a long time about Star Trek being a place. Like, this is this body snatcher story is transportable, and you can play it in a bunch of different genres, and it works especially well here. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. So for the rest of the episode, it is you know fun and games with Wes and Robin avoiding the body snatched Enterprise crew, Mm -hmm. and uh, and like the vagina butt lady from. The first scene has shown up with a scary-looking spaceship and is asking Picard about when she can take delivery of her new ship and what the plan is for getting the game into everybody else in the Federation's hands. Like, this is a full-blown takeover that they're attempting. Yeah, and the bridge crew really plays it subtly. Like, there have been episodes in this show where uh, the crew has been taken over and their voices get deep, for example... Or they walk around robotically. But (laughs) the effect of this game is even scarier when they look and act like they always have. Yeah, Picard is just... They're just taking action in a way that's very arch. Mm-hmm. He's he's like yeah yeah well we're, we've got some great uh, some great news we're gonna get this game onto the hood we're gonna get it to Starbase twenty seven we're even gonna get it to the Academy once we get Wesley under our sway this idea of doing something evil that you believe is doing something right is yeah. the scariest thing mm-hmm. that is terrifying when the yeah. person taking the scary action doesn't know it right. There's a scene where, like, they come and check in on Robin and Wesley, and they've they've uh, put fake game headsets on. Like, at some point, like, they start looking into the fact that data is deactivated because they're like, okay, everybody is body snatched, and data is the only person on board that wouldn't be potentially 
wouldn't potentially fall victim to this. So what happened to him? And they discover that that uh, there's a, a very precise laser beam-like cut in his neural net that's like preventing his brain from controlling his body, mm-hmm. which is also super scary, you know? Yeah. Like he's basically been in a persistent vegetative state the entire episode, but has been fully conscious the entire time, which for Data, like I, I can't tell if that would be like – terrifying or incredibly satisfying because he's always looking for ways to experiment with ending his own life (laughs) yeah there there could be some peace there yeah he's basically the protagonist from metallica's one video (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh eventually he gets down to engineering and he's like working with robin on and what the what the next step is and he looks up at her and she is very obviously strung out herself and so he starts running and Riker and Worf are chasing him and Wesley has like a bunch of different gambits for getting away from them you know where he like sets up a phaser to shoot a force field so that they think he's in one place he takes off his badge and leaves it somewhere he does some sight-to-sight transport. Eventually, he's crawling around in the Jeffries tube, and uh, Worf and Riker get him. Uh, I was trying to remember if there was some specific place he was supposed to be running to, or was he just trying to get away from them? See, I was thinking the same thing. Like, this scene plays for great tension, and it's especially scary, again, because you know Worf and Riker are so capable yeah. Like and yeah, and this doesn't diminish their capabilities at all. Right. And as he was as he was escaping, I was thinking back to that scene where he and Robin are in their quarters and they're trying to plan out what to do and they come up with the idea of coming up with the fake headbands to sort of blend in yeah. with all the people playing it, but like he's got to have another plan other other than that, right? Like what's the end game? Don't you have to have an escape plan for leaving the ship somehow? And yeah, he doesn't have that. A way out. It's pure fight or flight survival that's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, they don't ever have like a, a moment where he, he pauses and then ghostly over one of his shoulders, the head of his friend Jake comes and goes, steal a shuttlecraft, Wesley. <laughs> Everyone's doing it. You want to be cool, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so they catch him. And they take him up onto the bridge and they plop him down in the captain's chair so that uh, so that the uh, loafy, loafy lady on the view screen can see this. And they, they put the headset on him and they, uh, they Alex his eyes, like in Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, they, and they shoot the beams into his eyes. And uh, for all we know, the episode is over. Like, the bad guys won. And just then, the lights are, uh, the lights drop, and uh, who should walk onto the bridge but a newly up and up and running Commander Data, and he's got like the uh, the flash from the climactic scene in the rear window, <laughs> and uh, and he just like holds, it's like he's like holding it up to everybody's face and giving him uh, giving him a couple of strobes. Yeah. He rolls up like a like a techno DJ, and he 
he does the drop as soon as he gets on the bridge. Why am I sweating so much? Because you're feeling it. Is that a good thing? Yes! It is a good thing that the functional equivalent of going to a rave managed to deprogram everybody, right? Usually it's the opposite effect. What would they have done if, if rave light hadn't worked? I think what happens is what Data always does when he wants to take over is he gasses the crew. Yeah, I guess he could have gassed the crew. That's a good point. How many people do you think Data kills on the way to the bridge? <laughs> we are Just, deprived of that journey from Six Bay to the bridge, aren't we? Yeah, that would have been fun to see. Just punching <laughs> holes in people. Well, everybody just kind of like rubs their eyes and shakes their heads. And Picard turns to uh, to Itana on the, uh, on the FaceTime and is like, hey... Your attempt to capture our ship has failed. A super impressive try, but it didn't work out. Sorry. Uh, they shoot the tractor beam at them, and uh, and their plan from there is to drag them back to space prison. Yep. The the plot is foiled. The uh, optical burst did its job. And now it's time for Wesley to head home, and uh, there's a... A touching little goodbye scene between him and and Robin before he heads off to the transporter bay. And uh, it's made pretty clear in this scene, even though they have a a cute little smooch, that they didn't ever bone down. And and that just seemed like a real shame. Yeah, she never got to see his birthmark. Yeah. Ashley Judd plays this scene really interestingly to me. There's a kind of acting where... You're sad enough to cry real tears. And yeah. then there's two steps back from that where you just make your eyes well up. Mm-hmm. And she has the self-control to just well up her eyes, but not in a way that's like campy or cheesy. Yeah. It's really subtle. I thought she it's did a great subtle. job. It's so subtle that I almost wonder how I kind of want to like rewatch this scene in SD to yeah. see if you can see that. Because yeah. it's so it's like. We're talking about pixels of distinction. Yeah, I mean, if she's not an actress by now, she is after this episode. Like, yep. she's legit. Mm-hmm. Nicely done, Ashley Judd. <laughs> I looked it up, and the last, the previous episode, I think, is her first film and te- television credit. I don't recall seeing an and introducing in the credits. Did she get one of those? <laughs> I don't remember. Because you fucking like, deserve that? that when it's your first time. Yeah, she did a great job. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did like this episode. I think that there's some some plot holes we discussed, but uh, generally speaking, really good performances. It's really fun for this show to have a character written off and come back and be as developed as this. Yeah. Like, he he had character development that we can do some headcanon on, but he's a, he's a more mature version of the same character, and that's very well executed in terms of scripting and in terms of performance. If you'll forgive the wordplay, he really does hit the ground running. Like, he, he picks up right where he left off. Yeah. And good. they don't waste a lot of time re-character developing him for a new viewer's benefit. Yeah, there's no the boy, my my son, Wesley Crusher yeah. stuff. It, like, they don't have to, like, bop you over the head with who he is and what his relationship is with everybody else. They yeah. do a great job of showing and not telling. 
yeah, they uh, they don't talk down to the viewer that way, and that's something I really I really value on a show that at one point was incredibly campy with that. Mm-hmm. Well, Adam, do you want to uh, check and see if we have any subspace communications? Yeah, let's hit it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Uh, it doesn't sound like we have any messages this week, Ben, but uh, if any of our viewers are interested in a personal or business-style Priority One message, they can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Yeah, go do that. Ben, uh, did you find or flee from a drunk Shimoda this episode? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I fled from one, Adam. Yeah? Who do you got? My drunk Shimoda for this episode is Worf. <laughs> uh, and it is, uh, it is just because of the... There were a lot of things Worf did that I thought were Shimoda-worthy in this episode, <laughs> but the scene with him crawling in the Jeffrey's tube was was uh, was the one that I wanted to highlight. I could watch Worf crawling like an infant all day long. I think it is so funny looking. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself? Like, you just can't see Worf playing this game, and they don't even bother to try showing us that. Mm-hmm. Like... It'd be tantamount to, like, him knitting in a corner. (laughs) Like, it's such a soft hobby that I sort of want that. Like, I want to see a character like Worf, even Worf, fall prey to the game. If there had been a wordless scene where Worf has the headset on and is also baking at the same time... (laughs) in his in his quarters just 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 like a three second little slice of life that they dropped in like in between wesley going from the lab to picard or something how fucking amazing would that be it'd be great i think i think what we're both agreeing on is who i'm going to give my shimoda to and it is the decision we don't get that moment of seeing Worf try to put on the tiny headphones that he can't, and then he, like, snaps the headband in half and just sort of manually holds them to the side of his head before later on replacing them with, like, an a quad XL version with, like, a giant hoop on the top. Like, uh, like a, the, the... A warrior's Google Glass. Yeah. I really wanted that. Yeah, and so to not... Like, they, they chose not to give us the Geordie scene, but, man, to not give us the Wharf scene is a little unforgivable. So maybe I'm giving it to Worf. Yeah, give it to Worf. Double Fine. Shimoda, Worf. Fine. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you 
with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation is Season 5, Episode 7, Unification, Part 1. Imification, Unification. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to let you do the rest of the show, Ben. Picard and Mr. Spock clash over a proposed reunification of the Romulans and the Vulcans. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I do remember this episode. Do you remember the marketing campaign around this? Like, they really no. commercialed the hell out of the return of Spock, as I remember. Oh, man. Important Occasionally music. people send us those, like, those like TV spots that yeah. they played on uh, KBHK Channel 24 yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, did I say 24? I meant 44. Uh, 
Oh, you're going to get some uh, letters for that one, Ben. It's, it's, it's real fun stuff. This is, in many ways, like their chance to recapture the people that didn't quite get the uptake on, <laughs> on new Star Trek. This, this feels to me like a, a grab for old Star yeah. Trek people who weren't on board with a terrible first couple seasons. Yeah, who who took one look at the makeup they put Bones in in episode one and were like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Could you blame them? Would you veto this episode, Adam? I would not. I would not either. Uh, I think this is going to be a good one. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, well, that's the next one we're watching. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening. If you'd like to chat with us about this episode or any other episode, use the hashtag greatestgen on Twitter. Adam is at Cut for Time, and I'm at Benjamin R. A H R. Uh, if you'd like to talk in a format that is longer than 140 characters, <laughs> we've got some great conversations happening uh, on our Facebook page and group, as well as Reddit. Yeah, you can uh, sign up for our mailing list by going to gach.biz/mail, <laughs> and we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music. And Adam Ragusia for much of the other music you hear on the program. If you like what we've done on our show, uh, we'd really appreciate a review or a yeah. referral to a buddy or, uh, I don't know, put it up on the Star Trek Reddit. I feel like those people, great. those people are ignorant of our show. Yeah. Help them see the light. Don't let them be ignoramuses. <laughs> uh, well, with that, Adam, I think... Uh, we're going to have to come back next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and a very logical episode of The Greatest Generation. I'm hearing the Super Tramp song in my head as we speak. Make, 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 make it so. Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.